Hey, I'm Keith Aram. I'm the CEO of PCB Productions here in Los Angeles. And I'm Valerie Aram, and you're watching the Points of Experience. Experience. Two of the coolest human beings in this industry, Valerie and Keith Aram. Um, This is going to let you guys know, preface this right now, this is going to be a part one of hopefully another part or parts um, with both of these fantastic human beings because I just knew uh, I wanted to talk to them together about their company PCB and all the fantastic work they do in video games, film, uh, animation, everything. I mean, both of them have worked on so many great things. Most of you might know them from the Persona series or Call of Duty. Um, the list goes on. They're just um, uh, what I've worked on them with was, was the uh, Lost Judgment series, uh, the Kaito Files, and that was my first interaction with both of um, Keith and Val, and I just knew that they were kind of the top of the league of the directors and studios in this industry. Um, A fantastic facility that they have out here in Los Angeles, and they just really care about this industry and the actors and everything that goes on, and we have a really fascinating conversation about how they're working behind the scenes to to implement a lot of what they've been learning on the job with technology as it advances and the protection for actors. Um, and for anybody here interested in, in either from like a, a, a directing or audio engineering or acting um, perspective, you have interest in those things. I think there's a lot to learn here and hopefully more to learn as we continue our conversations. But uh, truly two amazing human beings who I'm always very blessed and privileged to work with when I get the chance to. Um, right now, you guys can hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the share button, hit the hit all the buttons, hit the self-destruct button. I don't know where that is, but I'm sure it's on some sort of platform that we're on. But do all those things. Write us a review. Um, and stay tuned for more information about our Spotify Premium, where you can get exclusive episodes, live episodes, access to a lot of really cool, fun things. Check that out on Spotify. More information on that to come. But until then, we've got Valerie and Keith Aram on the Points of Experience podcast. Yeah, so as I was just saying, I think this is going to be so much fun because we've had a lot of guests on here that have been in various parts of the industry, but you both, I I really feel like I've said this term in my life before, but I truly mean it for both of you, like power couple, two people <laughs> who really are just kick ass at so many things that are involved in this industry. So I'm just so excited to have you both on here. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, and, and show. Yeah. yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Power couple. I want to like a shirt. Wow. <laughs> a logo. PCB power couple is what it's going to say. So, um, <laughs> no, honestly, I'll start off by saying this. I, you know, um, I, I, I've done a, a good amount of voiceover. I'm not going to say I've been doing this for, you know, five decades or anything like that. But in terms of working in California, having coming from coming from New York um, and doing a lot of theater and film and TV stuff, the first time I got to work with both of you uh, individually on separate projects and stuff, I truly felt like these are people who are are operating at a level that is far beyond anything I've ever worked on before. Uh, it, it really felt like I was on a film set each time I was recording. It was one of the first times I remember coming to your studio and I, I remember being like, all right, where, where are the headphones? And you're like, you don't, you don't need headphones. No, headphones are bad. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I was just like, and I was like, that, that is an, that is a way of thinking and a way of operating that I really appreciate. And it's such a small, probably minor detail for, for some people, but 
to me, it meant a lot and freed me a lot as an actor and obviously working on Lost Judgment and then various other titles, which I won't get into yet, but without shall not be named. Yes, yes, of course. There's a lot of that that goes on. But I could talk about Lost Judgment here and working with you, Keith. That was one of those experiences I had where... Um, as an actor coming from the background that I had, I just felt so satisfied um, going through that whole process and that journey, even working remotely and having, you know, that also be a whole part of it. I just I, yeah. I couldn't speak higher of how you guys work and, and the quality of stuff you put out. Well, that was how we met you, really, I think, was on that project. Yeah. Right. And and what impressed both of us so much about that and even working remotely. Right. It's like you're, you have so many things working against you. You're not just working in voiceover and having to do dubbing and having to do all this sort of high-end ADR with motion capture and facial capture and everything else that we deal. But then you're also working remotely on a remote rig, having to work at home and then have to do this very dramatic performance, right? And it's not just, you know, we're not matching mouth flaps. We're actually doing dramatic performances and then we're adhering the animation to what you're doing. And I just remember turning to Val and being like, this guy's amazing. He gets it. And it's <laughs> and it's it's hard because you have to emote using your voice and you don't have, you know, the the sort of the additional backup of your body and whatever your facial and, and costumes and sets yeah, and, and lighting and anything everything, else that's there. Right. Other people to act off of. Yeah, you're right? not that's reacting. A, you're, you're acting just, in a void and yeah. it's it's a tough thing to do. And then there was the extra thing with COVID with the, the delay on the rigs, mm. right? You know, because it's real time, but it's not because there's that couple second delay. So uh, 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 trying to talk to each well, other. And- well, especially that because like when you're talking with someone, there's like little micro feedback and, and little emotional ticks. When you're talking to someone, people naturally overlap with each other and they'll give feedback. And sometimes with the delay or the internet, someone's just kind of stoically kind of looking at the camera and you're like, <laughs> so you get that and they're like, and then three seconds later, like, oh, yeah, that's great. And they come to life. And you're like, like for that three what? seconds, it just felt like, did that actor really connect? Are they really hating on what I just said? And, and it has nothing to do with that. But it just that kind of communication when we're doing such a nuanced performance um, is a challenge. And uh, so now that everyone's coming back and restrictions are lightening up and people are, you know, walking out of this nightmare that we've had for the past three years, uh, I think they really appreciate the in-person nature of it. And it's nice to know that we can work remotely as we need to, but it also shows that like the importance of that nuanced performance that we like. And you did it so phenomenally. I feel like, especially during that time, the height of like really the pandemic, a lot of uncertainty, things were just starting to record again after the studios were shut down. I remember getting that rig sent to me and I was like, oh, this is next level. And the fact that you were able to kind of innovate and capitalize on saying okay we you know recording is going to continue to happen how can we best do this and to have it work so well i really again it's just a testament to how well i I really do believe you're one of the best studios not just in los angeles but that in the world quite frankly for your innovation and your quality control and 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 the type of content that you put out is really phenomenal and exceptional and that's why it's a pleasure not just for me i know everybody else that works with you and speaks so highly of you to to come and work with you both because you really do bring that extra level of um enjoyment not just from sure for your clients but for the actors as well and it's it's really an amazing experience thank you yeah thank you it's 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 awesome that 
people recognize the quality of the performances that the actors are able to bring under these kind of awkward circumstances in video games sure. and everything. And, and I think for us, it all comes down to the performance, right? Because hooking up a microphone and a preamp and recording into, into you know, Pro Tools, it's not that hard. It's, it's a pretty basic thing. People have been doing it for many, many years. I think the idea is really thinking about the character, the performance, the actor, what is the best way to work with each actor on their own turf, on their own strengths and play to their wheelhouse and their internal strengths and say, what is this actor really good at doing? Where does this actor excel? They've already, you know, uh, auditioned. They got the part. We always feel that like 60% of a great part is just a great audition because the actor already is there. Now we're on set or when we're recording in the studio, we're just making choices. We're not teaching that actor how to act. We're just saying, hey, we're all kind of going this way. This scene is amazing, but what if we kind of tweak it this way and we start to play with the performance? So what we really think is we look at the performance that the actor is bringing and let the technology sort of be, even though that's the whole infrastructure behind it, it has to be invisible to the actor. And as clunky as it is working in a booth and facial cameras and microphones and all these other things that are very restrictive to other mediums and formats, um, we just want the actors to focus on great characters and great performance. And so we really want the actors to be grounded. And so I think Val and I spent a lot of time just talking about like, how do the actors learn to ignore all this stuff around them and just focus there? And that's getting them off headphones, letting them project naturally, using their hands. Script on screen. Yeah, script or the way screen. we organize the script. Um, a lot of the stuff that goes into it before an actor ever enters the booth, right? Like giving direction, a direction context column so that as you're quickly scanning those lines, you also see, oh, sarcastically, you know, bitter Whisper. or whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. So that it's, you know, we're kind of placing you in this place so that you're like, oh, if I'm here, you know, as opposed to acting here, you're acting here and you know your choices are, oh, it, before I'm in this box, it's here or here, right? And it's kind of helping you Define and, things so that you can really just focus on the acting when you're in there. And it empowers the, I think it empowers not only the actor, but it also empowers the writers and everyone else creatively because games in particular are very much a team effort, right? It's not just the singular view of a director. It's, it's sort of our, our job, if anything, is channeling everything from uh, design and writing and programming and art and other things and the actors and trying to put that all together and funnel that into a tangible performance and then negotiating to get that performance and then get it recorded and get it put it back in the game and have it retain that integrity and that happens 50 75 100 times an hour with every line of dialogue we do and it's up to us to like understand what it is make sure it's right with the team convey that to the talent get that performance manipulate understand where that performance really should live based on the style of game the right. type of game the the energy of the scene, everything about it. And also make sure it's recorded well in yeah. a way that's also going to be superior to you know what we need and then get that back and get it back into the game. And if we can keep that up, and that's that's kind of what our, our uh, sort of history has been, is just to sort of find those amazing actors and those performances and create the pipelines underneath that that's very sustainable. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of places that have kind of come up and used a lot of techniques that we've created over the years to kind of make it faster mm. and people can uh, replace voices and, and do other things that will eventually teach actors kind of bad habits because 
um, as you're seeing international productions coming in and other things, it's very easy to kind of watch a guide track and then replace the dialogue that's there. It still takes a lot of training for the actors, but um, if the actor doesn't come from a place of really a solid grounding, an actor can just learn to imitate or parrot a line without understanding the integrity behind it. Mm. And I think that as AI is coming and, and you're seeing all this automation starting to happen, I think you're going to start to see a lot of people who aren't as cr uh, creatively motivated to say, well, why not just have the original actor just do it? We'll use AI and replace all the other voices. And why, why dub these things, right? Yeah. And I think that nothing's going to take away the creative choice of an actor when they're interpreting a character and something's, it, it, whether it's been original project or a localized project or something that where we have a scratch track, when you have an actor that's coming in to a studio environment or we're on set, if we're doing something for film or for uh, motion capture, which we do a, a tremendous amount of as well, you have to respect what that actor is bringing and know, you know, artificial intelligence AI will is never, ever, ever take away those understand choices. Understand the human condition. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. It'll never understand that feeling. But, it'll never understand those things. But it'll and get so, close. And so the problem is, and, and the yeah. risk that our industry is going to face over the next five to 10 years is that people will be like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. Right. And then, and if it's just okay, then people may not know. And I, I started in the music industry and we had MP3s starting to be introduced when our albums were coming out and we were using them to get them out to our fans and sending out MP3s and put them on websites so people could hear tracks and want to download the album or, you know, before downloading became as big as it is. Yeah. And I was talking to our label at Capital and EMI and I was like, guys, like what's going to happen with these MP3s? Cause like, there's no piracy controls. I mean, this is really going to spiral. And it's funny that the response I got back from the record label was that, Oh, we don't think this internet thing's really going to take off. Right. And so, and, and, the, and the problem is, is that people listen to MP3s and they're like, eh, it sounds, sounds okay. It sounds pretty good. But yeah. if you actually listen to the difference between an uncompressed raw file that we would do in the studio or something that's on an album versus an MP3. Sure, there's a big difference, but a lot of people don't know. And so that's what I'm afraid of is going to happen with AI is that it's a great tool, yeah. um, but it can't replace the choices that we all make as, as actors, as directors, as engineers. And so that's what I think we're fighting right now is trying to say like quality really matters. Yeah. And it's not just about the cost. It's not just about getting something out fast and cheap. Um, it's trying to do something that really is going to make a difference and it's going to, you know, last the test of time. Yeah. You know, you, you Cause if we don't have quality, why are we all wasting our time? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think that's what brings these audiences to love these titles is, is the, the performances and the direction and everything coming together in such a nuanced way. It, it, bringing this up reminds me of something I saw recently was, um, you know, the title World of Warcraft. There was in the early iterations of that game, there was a lot of uh, dialogue that was unvoiced. There was a lot of text for like quests and missions and stuff. And there was a team that went ahead and created some sort of uh, program to implement AI dialogue for all of those unvoiced things and there was a, a huge reception of, of fans that were like this is awesome I can totally revisit all these things because of the AI but I was listening to it and I'm like this sounds so generic there is no life there is no soul and depth but it's kind of a, a two-sided scale because I, I think there's a lot of people like you're saying who are like well that's good enough and some studios might say if they're saying that's good enough then that's fine enough for us but then there's right. also the, 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 the risk that 
I, and is inevitable where there is no soul, there is no nuance, and then everything becomes diluted and it doesn't have the things hollow. that make, yeah, it's, it's hollow and it doesn't have that element that makes things profound and transformative and life-changing. Um, so it is a very interesting time right now where we're seeing we're at the precipice of, all right, where, where are some of these studios going to lean? Where are these people going to cut costs and how is AI going to implement? So it's obviously with the writers and the strikes for that and their fights, it's a very um, interesting time for this conversation to be having. Well, and happening. I'm afraid that it's going to blow back the wrong way, right? Because I think that if there's enough fear and enough uh, uh, hatred towards something that's there, that it might actually cancel it to the point of the fact that AI is actually very useful and there's yeah. actually a benefit in if it's used properly and as a tool instead of a replacement. Yep. And I think that's the, that's what we're all afraid of is that like, you know, you look at like a concept artist will have some amazing ideas and to use AI as a tool to say, well, if I want to take World War II and aliens and I want to put that together and then suddenly you get these great concept things like, great, now let me use that as inspiration to create something new, yeah. but not to replace my artwork, right? Yes. And I think that's the same thing here, like what your example is with like a text-to-speech sort of idea is that um, on, a, a, on a huge production just last year, one of the actors was telling me that she was on a production, she was coming in and they had temped in all of her lines with her own voice. What? And they used a text-to-speech with an AI that had captured samples from the game, put her in and she came in and she said, that sounds like me. That's me. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't have made that choice. And, but she couldn't identify what was wrong. Yeah. She just knew it was off. And then they explained to her, oh, this is just temp. We're not going to do this. You're going to revoice all these things. But she was like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. Yeah. But it wasn't to the point where she could even figure out what was going on. Yes. I think it's somewhat like, you know, when we look at really amazing, um, like you'd be watching like a cinematic mm -hmm. and the, the CGI characters, like they've got the pores and they look really beautiful. And you're like, wow, that is gorgeous. And then after a while, you're kind of like, but it's off. Yes. They're, like the eyes aren't right. Or like the you're, uncanny you're, valley. It's, it, your body picks up on that. Like, and we're still so instinctually like something's wrong with something is not human about this. Something is not right about that. I think it sets we're us so on edge to the nuance. We're really attuned yeah. to the nuance of that human condition. And I think that, once it goes away, at first everyone's like, oh, that's really pretty. And then after a while, you're kind of like, I'm a little on edge about this. I don't, this doesn't feel right. It yeah. doesn't feel 100%. And I think what's going to happen over the next several years is that um, the technology is out there. We're not going to be able to fight it. It's, and yeah. I think that the, that the problem is, is that if we fight too hard against it, then it's going to become... It's going to happen regardless, and yeah. it's going to become something where it's going to be fighting it as opposed to embracing it and saying, guys, we're in a, land, a world of technology right now where we can't stop it, but we can, I don't want to say regulate it because that sounds too bureaucratic, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. idea is that like we can get ahead of it and say, look, uh, sure, it might take away books on tape. It might take away our GPS you know, uh, opportunities for actors to say, well, hey, I really wanted to, to do that, that narration project. But what's going to happen is anytime you've had historically any industry, not just voiceover or actors or anything, but mm. anything that requires a lot of skilled labor that's very time intensive, a lot of very cost intensive, um, there will be people that will find ways to automate that. And yep. you've seen that in manufacturing and other things. So the fact that it's come for everything from writing to music to dubbing, especially, and, and these types of things, it's like it's the way of technology and it's the way of the world. 
And if it gets into the hands of people who don't have the right morals yes. or the right ethics, then what's going to happen is, is that then it's going to go free and it's just going to collapse those industries. And I think rather than us fight it in a way that's just going to be... We can't just say no. You're right. Because then they'll be like, fine, we'll just go over here and do it without you guys. And they're going to do it either way. They have so much, everybody has so much money. Google and all these people have so much money invested in this that they're not just going to stop. And we've had a number of companies for years coming to us about this. And we're like trying to get ahead of it and try to understand it to say like, hey, this is not just going to replace the actors. This is going to replace the directors. It's going to replace the studios, replace the engineers, yeah. the editors, everybody. So it'll affect a lot of industries. Um, and it will happen. It, it's yeah. just, it has to, right? Because here's, here's how it will happen. Um, if you have a huge movie that comes out, pick, pick your favorite star, pick your whatever, sure. the next Tom Cruise movie comes out. <laughs> if Tom Cruise now voices his character in every language, right? Now, in Japan, there's a guy who voices Tom Cruise. In yeah. Spain, there's a guy who voices... And, and there... mean, there's even probably the approved Tom Cruise sound alike here. Exactly. Who has to pick up yep. Tom's lines. When he can't do something, right. And so, so the thing is, is that in other countries, they don't even know what Tom Cruise or Arnold Schwarzenegger, they don't even know what they sound like because they only know who the dub voice actor is. And those actors are celebrities in their own countries. Yeah. But, but what's going to happen is the next Mission Impossible film will come out. Maybe not this one, but the next one. And he will be speaking perfect Japanese, perfect Spanish, perfect French. So what he's going to be doing is, is that it won't be him. It'll be an AI yep. with speaking from modeling from his performance. And it will be speaking that perfectly. And why not? Like that's Tom Cruise. And, and they're going to go to Tom and saying, Hey, you're going to be the voice of your character worldwide. It's yeah. not going to be 50 actors. It's going to be you. you. And yeah. every actor is going to jump at that opportunity to say, wow, I get to voice the lead character in this game or this movie or this show. And it's going to be me in every territory. And I got a pay bump for that. And I got to do this. So financially, I think that's how they're going to come for yeah. the industry and say, look, it's a good thing. Right. But the flip side is think about how many millions of hours are being dubbed right now on Netflix and how many shows are being produced internationally and being uh, awarded internationally. You see all these amazing shows coming out of Korea for yeah. you know, Squid Games or Parasite, right? And these great international films that resonate with Western audiences here. And most of these companies are finding that there's a higher retention rate for people who are listening to something that has been done in English or dubbed as opposed to the original performance, even though right. most people probably would prefer the original performance because it has the integrity of the original actor that yeah. it was the intention of the director and that team. But that's what's happening right now, right? Is that everything's going worldwide and it's not just American titles or, or European titles or Asian titles. It's, it's worldwide. And so I think that hmm. everything we're working with right now, we're seeing just the tip of the iceberg in games because we're, you know, working with this kind of technology, but it's affecting all of us. And so it really comes down to the creatives and making sure that there's longevity for the people who are creating stuff. And so it's going to narrow that field down. And, you know, you've seen historically where films, you know, you saw this in animation. Remember there was a period of time where Disney, like it was, it, it, you know, Disney is known for these amazing classic films. Yeah. But then there was a period of time, like in the 80s or 90s, where there was like... Direct-to-video. Direct-to-video. And there would be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, this part two and part three. And, and they were getting cheaper and cheaper. And the quality Lady was getting trap, worse. nine. Yeah. Right, right. Nine. And I think that then suddenly someone came back with something amazing, like hand-animated. Pixar came out. And Pixar, did beautiful, right? Beautiful, like... Yep. Like... 
Toy Story hit that screen and we were all like, what? And that brought the quality back up again, yeah. right? And, and so, so the cream will always rise to the top, but at the same time, there are people who will take an industry and then say, how do we go cheaper and cheaper and cheaper yeah. and cheaper? To the point where I think the audience kind of gets numb to it till someone wakes them back up again and says, hey, quality matters, right? Yeah. Performance matters. All these things matter. And so I'm hoping that within our lifetime and all the stuff that we're working with, that all the actors are amazing. There may be a wave of it, but then there'll be people who come back and go, you know, I just want a nuanced performance again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's filler feed, you know, there's the stuff on your on your feed, but then I really want something to dive into again. You know, it, it would be like, for me, it would be like, if you went and watched The Shining and it was all AI generated, it, it, it would be Jack Nicholson on screen. It could even be his voice. But if it was all AI generated, you would miss, like if you if you go back and watch that movie on the big screen and you see what's going on behind his eyes, right? Yeah. You see the twitches and you see him thinking and you see the nuances that are so, so, so human. That's what made that performance truly terrifying. And what was interesting about that movie in particular, if you look at Kubrick, Kubrick wasn't designing for a small screen. He no. never intended his stuff to no. be on Netflix like and on an iPad or watching on your iPhone. Yes. Like when you go back and watch that in the theater. And he's 60 feet tall. Yeah, it's designed <laughs> for that. And, and right. that's how they would test it and mix it. And I think that, you know, creators and directors, we all have to work for the medium that we're working on. So, sure. you know, if, if Lord of the Rings was created for the iPhone, you would never see Peter Jackson spending all this money on all this CG stuff with this one orc that's like getting his head cut off in the background yeah. because like, who cares? You're never going to see it on your iPhone, but to know you're going to see it in IMAX, you're like, we're going to spend the money and the time and the quality to make that amazing. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of like what's, what's happening right now is that you're seeing on some side people that are really trying to innovate and create pipelines and technologies that push our industry. You look at what Jim, Jim Cameron's doing right now on Avatar, mm -hmm. and it's not just the film itself, but just the technology behind it. Yeah. Um, and with companies like ourselves as well, like we're looking at like, how do we get these performances? How do we get them to resonate into a game, yeah. given the limitations of what we're doing as the technology is getting better and better? And then on the flip side is I think you also see some places where like, how do we get things cheaper and cheaper and faster into the masses? And it, it, it's not right or wrong. It's just there's a difference of the audience and who's consuming those things. And for us, we just really feel that really want to have something that's going to have longevity and people will remember. And a lot of the games that we're known for, I think, have been because we put in all that love and the actors did too. And we gave them a very nurturing environment to be able to convey those performances and do that. Yeah. Sometimes you have an amazing actor, but they're just put into the wrong circumstances. There have been some games where we've seen some amazing celebrities who have been mm. sort of, you listen to them in the game and you're like, that's a great actor, but that's not the it's right not performance. And they don't have the tools. They don't know why their stuff isn't resonating in the game because yeah. they're not necessarily the right fit. And so we're not saying anyone's perfect. It's just that, like, it's just we all have games we're not proud of and other things. That just <laughs> like, had we known about that, maybe we would have done it differently. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're just learning. And that's what we love about games, I think, is that every project is trying to be better than the last one. And we constantly are challenging always ourselves. Always innovative. Uh -huh. Yeah. Because yeah, each game has to have new features and new sets. So we're always trying to do the same on our side is how do we improve what we do from the last game?
Yeah, there's so much, so much fascinating stuff you just said right there, and I think it's really, really important right now. I'll make a comment to just about the kind of quality of the, the the world we're in right now. We're seeing so many different ways for people to consume content now between the various social media media platforms, the various different consoles, the various different networks, and so much stuff in the past, I guess, five to ten years. More has been made now than ever before in history, and while there's everyone has that same kind of expectation for quality now because things are advancing at such rapid rates. So we're all expecting it to be Avatar to a certain degree or an equivalent for whatever the genre is. Yet, because there's so many different, you know, Hulus and and HBO and whatever it is, these companies need to find a way to effectively and efficiently, from a cost perspective, compete at the rate at which there is. So of course they're going to be looking for ways to fig- you know continuously put out this amount of content that they have to to retain the retention yet you know f- uh, cut corners i guess where they can and that's where we're seeing that flip side argument where it's like well is it diluting the quality of what we're seeing but is it allowing them to put out more stuff so from an actor's perspective it's like i want to work more but am i going to work on more crappy things because it's not going to have the same budgets that it used to so there's really this this revolution right now of this industries where so many many more creatives can get employed now more than ever, but at what cost to a certain degree? And there's, you know, that morality conversation and everything. So it's just really fascinating. And then also to the point of AI, I mean, AI has already existed in the majority of these industries that we're talking about. I mean, you think about from an audio editing perspective, you know, to a certain degree, AI is editing out mouth clicks and, and plosives and, you know, with various different plugins. So it, I think what you're saying is very poignant and, and important because, um, we're already existing amongst AI. It's. I think we all have this iRobot expectation that's to come. Yeah, it's it's the idea. It's a tool. It's not a replacement, right? Yeah. It's not Skynet. You know, we're not trying <laughs> to have something that's going to like... I think it's also somewhat like... Remember when cable TV came out and everyone was like, oh my God, cable, and the networks were like, yeah. And yeah. And everyone was like, oh, you can have infinite access to everything, right? So much content, so much content. Yeah. And then everyone's like, do you want to watch something? And it's like, nah, nothing's on. Well, you have 900 channels on your cable. What do you mean nothing's on? Yep. Well, what they meant was nothing good yes, is on, right? Exactly. So they can produce. But then you, you get to something like a Game of Thrones, yep. right? Yep. Where the casting and the sets and the costumes and breaking like bad. every piece oh, of it yeah. was just, yeah, Breaking Bad, the writing on that. No one's going to duplicate that. That director of photography on that series alone like a lot of great holy DPs, cow right? mm-hmm. you're not going to get that from anything else so and, and so i think we're going to we're going to see it's it's the wave of sure things, yeah. right? it does feel scary it's unknown everyone will jump on and the, and the problem is it, it's that that phrase of you know don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right <laughs> you, you, know, you saw how how everyone uh, hated on nfts you know last year right yeah yeah and the yeah. truth is is that like things like blockchain is the future of what's happening with the internet it's not that there's a difference between people capitalizing and monetizing and trying to make a quick buck off of yes. something versus the infrastructure of the technology that actually has a huge future in it so then people started getting canceled because they were supporting things and doing things and like it gets mixed up right and yes. then people they take a sound bite and they use it out of uh sort of out of context and it becomes a really bad thing and the truth of the matter is is that like the technology that's going on is the most amazing it's been ever like we're seeing new advances every day and we've been evaluating some ai tools that are phenomenal in the right hands yes but in the wrong hands 
they are very destructive. Yep. And so you're seeing things with deep fakes and other things. So for example, um, you know, the potential of a deep fake of, you know, having an actor or an actress do something. say anything. Right? Yeah, That's they could crazy. say something politically or pornography or whatever. But yeah. the flip side is, is that there's some great companies like Flawless right now that are using AI to uh, have the actors' faces reanimate back to the voices uh, for the dubbed territory. So there's a yes. you know, better connection. And that's what we're doing on the game side right now is we're reanimating all of our international productions or stuff that we do on mocap stages. And we're re-facially capturing all the actors, which is opening a whole new industry for actors, actually. It's a whole new pipeline, a whole new business, whole new skill set for actors who are really talented actors. But we're actually replacing the faces back into the final dialogue that's been put into the game. Yeah. And what that's doing is it's a better connection for the audience. They look, looks way better, much better performance. It's better for the actors who are voicing it and doing their performances. And it becomes a win-win. It takes a lot of work on everyone's behalf, but that technology will get better and better as we improve it. But that's where the good things are coming out of. Yeah. I mean, I had a question that would have inevitably gotten to later, but it's I guess it's relevant right now is as these industries are evolving and we're seeing motion capture and performance capture and various different I mean, you, I know you guys have worked on even, you know, films or like VR type of stuff where, you know, we're you're working on huge sound stages in various different capacities and the storytelling is done in different formats. How as a studio do you strategize to evolve at the same rate that these studios that are coming to you to work on their titles are expecting? Is that a conscious conversation you're constantly having? Like, okay, now there's a lot more performance capture games happening. We need to have this, this, and this. Or there's this new camera that's working. Like, is that a conversation you're constantly having as a studio? Yeah, I think on one one level is always, you know, you're keeping up with the latest technology just because... Yeah. You know the resolution. Technology-driven industry, so we have yeah. to, yeah, you have to make sure, yeah, make sure on top of that. But at the same time, performance is performance, right? And at the heart of what we're doing, even though we're creatives in so many other different ways, our job is to really direct and capture these amazing performances and help craft them to what is appropriate for the game. So when we get to work on these enormous projects that are, uh, you know, and we're honored to be part of them because, you know, that for them to come to us and say, hey, we recognize what you're doing and applying what you're doing to our projects um, is is a great honor. But at the same time, it just goes down to the basics of, you know, what the performance is without any technology. Mm. So I kind of feel that like the same uh, conversation we talk about with AI is about the latest tool for the latest pro tools and the latest microphones and the latest preamp and the latest this. It's sort of like they're all tools to us and there isn't any one end all be all tool that does everything. Yeah. You know, in our industry, some people say like, oh, like Pro Tools is amazing. It does all this. And it's like, it is. It is amazing. We're one of the first people to create all the pipelines and use it here in Los Angeles. And now it's become a staple in every studio, but it doesn't do everything. It's great at doing X, Y, and Z. And we have 10 other tools that do these other different things. And, and I think that as a creative person to say, I don't understand the technology, that's someone else's job. I think is doing a big disservice to themselves because if you don't understand what's happening, even if you don't use it, but you have to have a concept of how it's being used. If you don't understand how that tool is being used, you don't understand the application of where it is, then you're doing a disservice to yourself because you're just kind of working in a void saying, oh, well, I'm giving that off to someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. And since we're such a collaborative industry and we all work together and even as directors, like we're just 
one part of a much bigger machine. Yeah. Like we need to make sure that everyone, including our actors, our clients, our engineers, everyone is all on the same page. So a lot of these tools, we try to, we're constantly experimenting with new tools just to make it better for everybody to take some of the heavy labor off and spend more time on the creative. Well, I think as the actor, I appreciate it. And I think the audiences really do appreciate it because the quality <laughs> and the, the the products speak for themselves. Um, my gosh, this is going to be the most, I'm going to make this comment now. It's going to be the most challenging podcast I've done because there is so much I want to ask you and I could have <laughs> two hour podcasts with each of you. So I'm going to try and be as efficient as possible in respect of your time. So we'll I want to make sure. Yeah, yeah we'll have, we, will. we will have to do a part two. Um, I, I, how, how did each of you get kind of, um, and I'll say this from a broad perspective because you, you all, you both do so much involved in the industry. Where did you each get your, your bugs for wanting, because I know Keith, you said you started off doing music um, and, and Valor, I know, you know, for, from an acting perspective, where did you each kind of get your bugs for, okay, I'm going to pursue a career in the entertainment industry? Um, I took dance lessons as a little tiny kid. Uh, you know, four or five years old and dance lessons were cool. And then recital came around and they gave us these beautiful little bags and you opened it up and there was this sequined, sparkly, fabulous costume inside. Yeah. And I went, Oh, I want to do this. <laughs> I like sequins and fringe. Sign me up. I'm in. And I think that's really where the performance bug started with me was that whole thing of putting on the special thing, going out on the stage, having the lights on you, preparing for it for so long um, and having that perform. And I think that's that's where the bug sort of started for me as a theater student, too. right? And then I went into theater and, and that just sort of led to like a lifelong uh, passion for this. But I also grew up in a very, you know, at the time, very small town in Tucson, Arizona. And there wasn't much culture and there wasn't much theater and there wasn't much to do in that mm. world. Um, but I was tall at a very young age and very tiny. And, um, my mom put me into modeling and that was just another aspect of that. And one day the director of the modeling agency came to me and she said, you have a nice voice. Come in my office for a second. And I walked in her office and she pushed play on a tear, a record on a little handheld cassette recorder yeah you're dating yourself and recorded my voice <laughs> the little you know the microphone that plugged into yeah i'm totally dating myself a million years ago sure and recorded this audition and i was like wait what you know what is this and so that was my first experience you want me to date me even further uh it was for a film strip that was my first voice ever done a couple of those, yeah. I was, yeah i was like 12 years old and um i did a film strip you know how to ride the bus we're the cool kids we ride the city bus kind of thing and that was my first foray into that side of acting and i was like that's fascinating huh but I think what's interesting is that you took all of your theater background experience and all that other side of things. And so then when we got into recording and directing and instead of just working in the company, you actually could communicate all of that into the performance side. That's it really where it changed. Very much informed me as a director being, you know, so the voiceover grew. I did my first one at 12. And then when I finally moved out here in my twenties, I started, you know, games were 
beeps and blips and, you know, zero memory on the cards and were very small. Yeah. And I remember the first game sort of coming out with dialogue and working on some of those titles. And you actually did the first voiced cinematic in the game industry. What? Yeah. So there was a game called Creature Shock. Oh, that's right. Was and that the first cinematic? It was the first cinematic ever. Holy in cow. Ta-da! A game by the guys from Argonaut, the guys who went on to do Star Fox and other things. That was and, the first yeah. game. They were, it was before Doom. And had it come out before Doom, it actually would have been enormous. And we did... I this is in Creature Shock. This is in early 90s. We did this thing. I had come out of... Uh, Dating yourself. Sorry, uh, we we uh, I had been uh, I had been moved from the music industry into into scoring movies, and I took this um, cinematic that the animators were working on in England, which was phenomenal for its time. It was really early, very high end CG, and we striped it um, for sync. We did a full orchestral score. We did sound effects, and you did the voice of the ship. I remember that was doing that. the voice of the ship. And it, I was, I was the audio director at Virgin at the time, and it was so crazy. No one had seen this in the industry that the president would bring in tours almost every day with all these international investors and other dis- distributors and, and developers into to the see audio wing. The, into the audio wing to see the cinematic that we had put together because it actually had voice because back then you couldn't have voice in games. The yeah. PlayStation wasn't out yet. We were still doing stuff on PC and the early 3DO game systems. So the early PC games could stream basic stuff, but it really couldn't do anything like that. And so this was one of the first cinema. This was the first cinematic that was ever done. Oh, and uh, who knew? And it was cool because it <laughs> you was like, should. It, it was, it, and, and I don't even know where that game is. I haven't even seen that game in 30 years. You have a poster somewhere. Yeah, but that was <laughs> that was the humble beginnings, right? And now it's like now it's like, well, we'd rather do an in-game real-time cinematics than any of these pre-rendered things. Yeah. yeah. But it's like that's where the technology goes. But that was really interesting because you had taken, you were one of the it, back when actors first started in games when we were really doing this because once CD-ROMs kicked in dating ourselves yes but when cd roms that was really the big thing because you could stream off of a disc yeah and um and so the first voice actors were all cartoon actors mm-hmm. so the first all game animation. i ever directed yeah. was rob paulson tress mcneil uh, jim cummings Corey burton all the big disney and warner brothers guys who are legends now yeah well they were then too but like that was my first experience because they're the only guys who were doing voiceover that was like a cool T- thing tell them the first person you ever directed <laughs> your first, your first ever session directing, other than me, tell them the first. Uh, so uh, I had started in music. So I, so uh, I had started as a recording artist. I was in, I was in Biohazard and then Contagion. So I was working in studios all the time since I was fourteen. And then um, when I graduated from school, I signed with Capitol Records and I was touring. And, and the whole time we're on tour, we're playing video games. So I got into doing video games and movies. And then uh, Virgin made me this offer and I came in as their in-house composer. But then within six months, I became their audio director and built out all their studios. And, and that was sort of the beginnings of how we started everything. And so I had this gorgeous studio and we were working on this amazing game with all these amazing actors. And they were also casting big celebrities to do all the major characters. Mm. And the first major character coming in uh, was Tim Curry. No kidding. And Tim, and this was, you know, 90s. This is, you know, before, you know, he unfortunately he had a stroke in later years and other stuff. But this is his heyday. Yeah. And and I was a huge fan. But um, so I was, you know, the audio director, but I'm going to be recording his sessions. And we had the writer, we had the producer, we had the vice president. We had everyone coming into the studios. And I said, well who's directing the actor? And they all looked around the room. And they're like, 
you're the audio guy. <laughs> so literally the first actor I ever directed was Tim Curry. And oh I mean, gosh. it's Tim Curry. I mean, it's what like, what are you going to do? Right. What you, yeah. and he was Back amazing. Off your mic, <laughs> but, but, but in all the years that I've worked and we've had the honor to work with so many hundreds of, of, yeah, of these great celebrities, you realize what makes these superstars who they are. Right. Mm. Because they're so gracious to work with. They're so good at their craft, but they're just genuinely good people. And so as, as a result, you know, our job is not there to teach them how to act. It, you're already there. You already cast. You already got the, the job right now. The whole idea is to say, hey, we're all kind of going this way. So let's kind of yeah. keep all the performances that it's way. Driving a ship. Right. Everybody has to do their job on the ship. And we're just kind of helping keeping it on track and steering it in the right direction. Right. But everybody else has to do those jobs to make it all work. And you need to have a vision of what that's going to be. And it's a little d different directing a film than working on a game or doing sure. voiceover or that kind of things because of the collaborative nature of all the different departments and what's needed that's there. But at the same time, it's amazing to watch these great performers work because they're, they work for all these years because it's their talent gets to a point where everyone is great. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between, uh, Morgan Freeman and Gary Oldman and Tom Hanks. And, uh, you know, it's like, they're all great, yeah. right? They're just choices. They're, at that point, you're like, well, hey, this script is better for Morgan Freeman. This one's better for Tom Hanks. It's just, that's just the way it is. And sometimes you look back at an old film and say like, oh, wow, they actually considered like this Tom Selleck like for, for uh, you know, Solo, for Han Solo. Right? And you're like, yeah. what? Like, I can't imagine anyone except for Harrison Ford doing that role. Yeah. But the that's Matrix, sort of the Smith, idea. You know, those type of things. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And so I think that's what's interesting about our, our business is that like you get to see these amazing performers and what they bring in. And so for us, like we've just got to kind of get the best seats in the house to, to watch and be able to like see these actors do their, their thing and just be a little small part of, of what that is. Yeah, Have you had them through what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're talking about Tim Curry. Is there is there anybody else even from? Am I correct in that you've had Stan Lee in the studio before, or is there is there anybody that was like really memorable that you got to even maybe not work with in an acting capacity, but just a, a studio experience that you had with somebody that just really left an imprint? Stan was a crack up because I remember the one time that I got to work with Stan. You worked with Stan several times. The one time I got to work with Stan, he came in the door and he's like, "Okay, let's do this." Da, 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 da. And he was like, "Go, go, go, go!" And he's like. It was like two days before it was like his 90th birthday or something like that. And he's like, how long is this going to take? Because I got to get back to my work. You know, I got to get back to my desk and do some more work. And I was like, you're 90 years old. But he was just, you know, he was just go, go, go. He was great. Yeah, he, he was, was a great, that great was mentor. That was an amazing um, thing to see. Yeah, it's it's amazing because like we're fortunate enough that like just about every week someone incredible comes through our doors because we we're a private to... facility. So like people like working here because it's not like the traditional studios where yeah. everyone on the lot is there and everything else like that. They have to come to our facilities. They go and it's private. It, it kind of it's a much different experience. And we get I think that's it's a much more relaxing uh, environment. So we get actors to kind of kind of let down their guard and really kind yep. of deliver yep. these performances. It's not a PR experience. Um, They're there for the job. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And a lot of actors come, they'll, they'll come after hours or they'll stay late or they'll come on weekends or they'll do stuff just because it's all about the craft then. And it's not about doing the behind the scenes. We'll do those behind the scenes later. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll stage those and we'll do something else that's there. Um, but uh, but what's interesting, I think, I think some of the most memorable experiences for me um, have been like Gary Oldman on Black Ops 
unbelievable just to see to someone like that man work. Holy cow. knows his instrument and knew, knew what he was doing. We, we usually save a lot of our vocally stressful or the really heavy lines to the end because, you know, as an actor, if you're just screaming for hours and doing something because we were working on Call of Duty, um, you'll blow out. You know, it's yeah. just by nature, you just your, your muscles and your cords it just can't handle that much prolonged. So we kind of limit the sessions and organize them. And uh, I remember talking to Gary at the beginning on, on Black Ops and the beginning of the game is this huge prison breakout of this Russian gulag and he's screaming and he's rallying 200 prisoners to do this prison break and he's fighting against Sam Worthington and doing this whole thing. And, and I'm talking to Gary and I said like, hey, like we're starting off at full volume here. And like, you know, later he becomes this inner voice and he's got this whispered stuff and we're going to do some lower things. So maybe we'll start with the lower stuff and then we'll work our way into that. And he goes, he goes, no, actually I'd, I'd like to start and go linearly through the story. And I'm like, that's great. But like, I mean, it's going to be loud and, and I, you know, I'm directing hundreds and hundreds of actors and all these soldiers doing thousands of lines and like pretty familiar with when someone's going to blow out. And he goes, he goes, no, I, I understand. He goes, he goes, I've done it before. I know my limits. And, um, and I know how to sustain it. And I get a sound that when I am torn up, I like that sound and I can sustain that. And I'm like, Hey dude, you're, you're Gary, Gary Oldman. Oldman. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> and he was amazing. And if you listen to it, I mean, that is a hundred percent authentic, like in order. And it was phenomenal just to watch him work. Cause he would just pour everything into that. And he did blow out, but it sounded cool. It was amazing yeah. and all these actors we've had over the years have been like that but him He's idris like, elba idris, El idris. Okay, idris, oh. idris and keith i think i came in the room and they hadn't even started yet <laughs> and their sessions should have been over because they clicked on such a level yeah. And the two of you just sat, I came in, I was like, okay, great. It was great to have you. And he's like, we haven't Started. even gone in the booth yet. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, all right, let me feed you dinner and then you guys can get started. <laughs> yeah, they just, it's so, it's so cool. You just get to meet the coolest people. It, it's a great yeah. intrigue because, because everyone's guard is down because it's like on set or other things. Like sometimes like there's a little bit of posturing, right? You're, there's an expectation. There's a persona. There's a persona keep, that's there. Yeah. No pun intended. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, uh, you know, when you get someone who's just all about the work, they're there in an environment that is creative. And, and this environment, the studios are designed specifically to kind of facilitate, facilitate that. that yeah. yeah. So as a result, I think the relationships of these actors over the years has been amazing. We had this Michael Keaton came in and um, I told my uh, my my daughter uh, at the time, I said, hey, I said, you know, she loves all these Tim Burton films. And uh, and I said, hey, you know, Michael Keaton's coming in. And he's Beetlejuice, the original voice of Beetlejuice. And she looks at me and she goes, does he know Tim Burton? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes. And so I she so. And she had to leave for school. She was young at the time. So she recorded she a eight. message on my phone and I played it for Michael at the session. And she was asking, she goes, she goes, hi, you know, I, I, I love your work, but I, I wanted to know what it was like working with Tim Burton. She left this whole message for Michael, just okay, asking Tim what it was like to work with Tim Burton. And, um, and so we're recording and like, we're like three, three and a half hours into this session and Michael stops and he goes, wait a second, we have to record a message for your daughter. And he like grabbed my phone and then he just did this really amazing message saying, oh, I worked with Tim. He was hey, such hey, a great hey, guy. Hey, Julia, it's Michael. Yes. It's really cool working with Tim. I mean, it was like, it was just, it was like the coolest thing. 
the experiences we get to have in this building every day. And are, you realize why these actors are who they are, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it's it, it's the celebrity and the fame is all great, but it's when it comes down to it, they're just you know really good people doing really good work. And I so, think just about everybody that we work with consistently, celebrity or not, are yeah. good people. You know, if you're in this building a lot, it's because you're a talented, and then it's b because you're good people. And if yeah. we're going to spend. Ninety-five percent of our life, our life. <laughs> in prison in the studio. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to surround us with dogs and good food and people. You know, it's it's uh, good people. That's really what. And I would say, like, if anyone, if you're looking to become an actor, there's there's two things I think that we always tell everybody: a, become a great actor, take your acting lessons, learn the craft. It is a craft. Yeah. Um, and just be good people. Be good to work with. You yeah, know? I think that's what's the that's... big change you're seeing is that people, the old ways of having to put up with the politics and the egos and that kind of stuff, that's gone. Like, yeah. like people don't want. No one wants that anymore. That. No and sure, to... I mean, work becomes stressful, and people get you know focused on days. work, and we sure. all have our days. But but the idea is is that every day you know is really a gift because like you're getting to do what you love to do right yeah. and just yeah and everybody just taking care of it i mean i love i love the voiceover industry specifically because i i find that differently from the on camera industry everyone very much takes care of each other yeah. you know and that's what it is it feels like a giant family and it feels like everyone has your back and everyone's taking care of everyone and it's it's the way it should feel for yeah. the most part and and our industry's broken i mean there's there's problems with the technology and and some of the contracts and other things i think behind the scenes what we're really focusing on is not just the performance itself but on one level is you know we want the technology to be there to facilitate these performances but also on the education side we really want to teach the actors like about their business how to work in these technology situations how to understand to protect themselves um, and be able to do that uh, on a sustainable way. Yeah. Um, because if you blow out your voice screaming on Call of Duty, then you're not able to do your Disney gig you know, the next day. Yep. And so we need to make sure that we're responsible as directors to make sure that if we're working on a project that is vocally stressful or requires a certain type of technology, that the actors feel comfortable, not just... Um, from a performance standpoint, but physically and, you know, dealing obviously with what we did with COVID and the remote rigs and other things. Yeah. And I think on top of that, there's also the contractual side and also looking at where the industry is at right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some old contracts that have just sort of need to be updated and new audiences and new technologies that have kind of pushed things and the contracts haven't caught up with them. Yeah. And I think that the unions and the actors and everyone are starting to recognize this and come together and so we're trying to be very proactive behind the scenes to sort of try to bridge that because as and get actors, in front of things before they happen you know yeah. everyone said oh we can't update the dubbing contract for so long and then suddenly it became a big thing and netflix was dubbing everything and was like guys we need to update this we've been talking about this for 10 years <laughs> yeah. so. you know so we're trying to get in front of things and kind of help make sure that things stay on track and i think that you know this ai conversation we had is one of those things where we need to we need to get in front of it yeah we can't block it we're not gonna be able to just tell it no and stop it but we have to figure out how to get in front of it and work with it and make it work with us and for us as opposed to destroying us because if we set it off to work on the side without us then they'll work without us I, I have, yeah no and I have to say just thank you because and I've never felt more taken care of especially when you're talking about vocally intensive stuff I think there are studios that will take advantage of um 
for lack of a better way of saying it, desperate actors or disposable actors, who. you know, that they'll say, <laughs> I need you to scream for four hours straight. And that's what no. I, you know, and, and, and a lot of actors don't look out for themselves. But um, right. so I think it's very important what you guys are doing. And, and it's, uh, we really appreciate it going on behind the scenes. But also even just regarding these conversations, that's why I think they're so important, especially with things like AI. It's like it is inevitable. And a lot of people I feel are afraid of having certain conversations when that only is going to lead us down this path of silence that will eventually lead to the impending doom that everybody is fearing where it's like, no, we have to have these conversations. So I appreciate you having this conversation because a lot of people are scared to to sit on any side of any fence because they're afraid by saying one thing and that it's, you know, contradictory to another. But if we don't have conversations about these things, we don't have conversations about these contracts, then we have no progress. We have no middle ground. We have no compromise, especially with these unions and these studios. And, you know, we're seeing right now with the writers and we're seeing that inevitably with the the acting unions right now. It's like things are getting, you know, things are happening so fast and a lot of people are just sitting back. And then when things come to a head, it's like now nobody works because we've we've not done the work beforehand. So we haven't dealt with it. Yeah, it and it's interesting because you see like how the Directors Guild has worked historically and they're like, hey, we've got a, you know, a contract negotiation coming up next, uh, you know, next September. Why don't we get it out of the way now so we don't get there? <laughs> and some of the other ones have like, 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 hey, that contract just expired. So let's strike. You know, it's like, like, hey, guys, let's like kind of bridge the gap between here. And, I, and, and rightfully so, like, uh, you know, a lot of the unions, people think that the unions are there to get them work. And they're really not. They're mm-hmm. they're really collective bargaining agreements. These are like overall contracts that so every talent doesn't have to negotiate every time they do a, pro- a project. It's like yep. a collective agreement that we all agree to on, on both sides of everything. We're kind of in the middle of that. And that's why we're kind of a, a unique place because our clients are the ones who are hiring us to do stuff. And then we're there tasked to work with the talent and we be able to, to, to bring happy. them. And we're also we talent ourselves. sides coming back. So. so, yeah, we kind of have to. I mean, our, yeah, three out of four members of our household are SAG carrying, you know, card carrying members yeah. and the fourth one is eligible. So, you know, we have interest <laughs> on both sides there of keeping everybody but I think, happy and safe. Yeah, I think long term it really is, is. It's just sort of this combination of, you know, the technology allowing us to grab this in a, in a healthy way. Right. The education of knowing how to work with it and being informed of the good and the bad and understanding how to work with it and, and how to manage that business. And then on the last side is, you know, managing the contracts and making it sustainable so everyone can make a living out of doing it. And yeah. it's not disproportionate on one side or the other. And so I think that that little triangle is kind of our, our life's mission. And with our company, <laughs> people know us for all the fun games that we've done and in the movies and, and animation and other things. But but really behind it, you know, if people look back at us, and this is our 23rd year in business just as PCB. And I think, you know, the things we're most proud of is just like the difference we've made with just the community and just being able to give back to everybody and, and really help our industry kind of thrive. Yeah, it's so important. Sustainable careers, I think, is one of the important things that, you know, you're just talking about is being able to do this sustainably. And, you know, things can get unregulated very quickly and people can get take advantage of really quickly. So it's important to have people uh, fighting for that. I, I, I want to also ask, too, because, you know, you've worked with such great companies. You've worked on such, you know, some of these great titles across all of the genres of entertainment particularly with with like the studios like RGG or Atlas how did those relationships come about and what is the 
and just from like a PCB kind of from start to finish, what is like the process between you getting hooked up with one of these companies? And then like, what is the process from, all right, we're hiring you to do this. Then what is like kind of the shorthand version of, all right, this is all that needs to be done until we're completed. PCB is done with the project. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's quite, quite the challenge. Um, and, and, and by the way, I should mention that we probably have, we, we have, have a session that starts <laughs> okay. in one minute, uh, right. but, but, but let, let's, gotcha. let's, let's answer this and let's, let's schedule a part two. Cause I yes. think that that's like the tip of where we'd love to talk about. Um, but to give you that as our company is very unique because, um, I started, uh, working for all the major corporations. I worked for EA and for Virgin for almost seven years and saw Prior how to PCB, yeah, yeah, before PCB. And that was sort of getting understand of how the business was running even back then yeah. to, into where it is now. And, um, and starting our own company, um, because the amount of time it takes and the love and effort we needed to put into these projects, we didn't want to become an hourly project studio where people could just call us up and say, Hey, how much is it to record my demo? Or, yeah. Hey, how much are you for, per hour? Like we're, we're not that kind of studio. Like we don't do hourly recordings here. We block our stuff out for days or weeks or months or years for our clients. And so as a result, um, our studio became referral only. And so we didn't advertise. We don't have any advertising. We do have a website, but that's about it. And even through the website, we don't put up our address. We don't put up our phone numbers. We just put together a form. And it's not we're trying to be prude and trying to be like, you know, the snobby kind of exclusionary. Sure. Yeah. It's like it's mightier just, than now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just really wanted to I make sure. I am going to be in the Guinness book, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, the, I, think, I think the big goal is to really um, just have our clients be as passionate as our talent, right? It's yeah. to say that like, hey, it matters quality. and the quality matters mm -hmm. and we want to go to somebody who's really going to take care of us. Because, you know, if, if you're sick or you have a, a broken arm or something's there and you go to a doctor, not number one, you want to go to someone who's qualified, but really you want someone who's going to be like, okay, Hey, we're going to take the best care of you. You know, what's going on. This is how we're going to be able to walk you through it, manage your expectations, help you heal. Even if it's going to be painful. You're going to go through that and have someone that's going to be there. But what you don't want to do is go somewhere like, okay, um, all right, you got me for 15 minutes. And I'm, you know, it's like <laughs> you, you want someone who's passionate about what, what you they what yeah. they do so they can help you and i think that like if we were just in this for the money and we were just trying to do the cheapest or the fastest and just become an assembly line there's way better ways to make money and be sustainable in our industry yeah. than you know trying to do what we do um but when you have the clients that we do and we've had the and we are the, so thankful for yeah and, we, and we've worked with these companies for decades right and so what's nice is that you're always learning and yeah. you're always getting better. And you're like, oh man, like if we only knew this, like, well, on the next one, we know better. I mean, even today, I, we have this project. It's probably the most technically advanced project I've ever worked on. It's like so challenging. We've been working on it for almost a year. Uh, we still have months to go. And, and even just today, we were like, oh yeah, like next time we're gonna do this, this, and this. And we're still <laughs> learning on this project that we set up that we've been working on. And even at this late in the game, we're still realizing that like, there's still better ways to do what we do. And it's nice because it just keeps you on your toes and growing. So I think that our clients really recognize that. We'd like to innovate. Yeah, yeah. and so I think they like that too because they, they want their projects to be better. And you know, if you look at a game like when I did Modern Warfare, um, and it was a fantastic game, fantastic team, amazing cast. And then that same team and actors and everyone went on to Modern Warfare 2. Yeah. Modern Warfare 2 just like 
skyrocketed. And of uh, the whole series that we had worked on, that one was the, the pinnacle of everything. And everyone's like, well, what, what was the real difference on the performance side? Why did you guys win all these awards? And why was everyone talking about the performances in, in Modern Warfare 2? And the reason why was that we actually just worked with the actors to introduce like new techniques of breathing and the way they did the performance. Same actors, same cast, mm -hmm. but we changed the way we did those performances and the way we captured them. And it really resonated in the game. And they really sounded like these actors were running. They really sounded like they were going through battle. And it was a noticeable thing that four other productions in LA shut down and went back and they said, we want the Call of Duty sound. Yeah. And all these actors were, were calling us complaining saying, what did you do? Like we're having to go back and do important stuff because they want what the sound of this. And we're like, what? And they're like, yeah, they're having to scream, do all this stuff. And we're like, yeah, but we weren't screaming. We were just adding this. And, and it was funny because like sometimes in the end, people think you're doing one thing. And, um, and it was just interesting. And, and that's, I think, you know, why our clients and our actors really like this is that we're just getting to play every day. Wow. Well, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Truly, Keith Val, you guys are pioneers and visionaries in this industry and truly supportive of the whole projects being, you know, from start to finish. I really appreciate your time. Uh, we will have to do a part two because I feel like I, I just have infinite questions. So uh, uh, thank you so much. I'd be glad to. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Have a fantastic recording session and we will have to pick this up at another time. Thank you. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Bye. I'm just so giddy. I, 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 I was afraid of this conversation because I knew I was going to only doing them together. I thought would be really great and have, you know, just their back and forth is so phenomenal. I barely even had to interview them, but uh, I knew I was going to not even scratch the surface. So let's call this part one of the X amount of conversations with Keith and Val uh, because PCB is really, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy working on every project I've got to work on with them. I, I mean, they're just such great, they're, they're great artists and great at what they do and they've done I mean, Keith's got a comic book series with Wesley Snipes. They've, they've worked on some of the best series, you know, the, the Lost Judgment, Persona, uh, it, the, the list goes on. They're just a call of duty. I mean, just hearing these stories, it's like, I just want to know more. And I want to uh, share that with all of you because I think that they give a really interesting perspective into this industry and for anybody entering it, uh, what it's like to kind of work on these high quality titles. So, um, TBC? to be continued yeah 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 please like subscribe do all those great things review us and if you're interested check out our spotify premium where we're going to be doing some fun stuff like exclusive episodes uh live streams you can participate in some of our stuff it's going to be a lot of great stuff to come um it's there but you know we'll be rolling that stuff out as it comes so stick around for the second part but we'll have more episodes probably in between that so uh love you guys appreciate you and i'll see you on the next one